bloody good. Okay, mate. Yep, cool. All right, we are we are live. Awesome. Finally, thank you for the uh, thank you for the patience with the technical difficulties here. I I had this all tested out, but I tested it on the computer rather than the uh, rather than the app on my phone. And it yeah, it's always the way, mate. No worries, not so. a problem. Anyway, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm psyched to be. Uh, I was psyched to get to get you on here, especially get you on here so quickly because you know I they asked me to do a couple of these and. Um, Ended up going pretty well. Uh, oh, bloody good! And, That's awesome. Um, when they asked me if I wanted to do a few on my own, I, you know, I of course jumped at the chance. And they asked me, "Well, who do you want to interview?" And it's like, you, you were yours was the first name that popped into my head because oh, I've been pretty, uh, pretty I've been following you and your Facebook or your uh, YouTube channel, Clay Tall Stories. Oh, yeah, right. For a long, I mean, it's beginning to be a while now. Like I remember when, you know. Back in back in the days when you had old Jim and some of those, yeah, man. Well, you've not only been following it, you've also been supporting it. You're one of my longtime patrons, and for a long time, you're also offering to do editing work for a book that I was supposed to write probably ten years ago, which I still haven't <laughs> written. <laughs> I'm waiting till the legs can't go anymore and I can't hunt, and gotcha. I'll spend those last days of my life writing that book, and then we'll finally edit it and get it out there. Yeah, that sounds fun. awesome. That sounds awesome. So. Uh, I can do a quick introduction of you if you'd like, or would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? What, uh, who, who is Clay? Who, who is Clay Tall Stories? Clay Tall Stories is, uh, it's an interesting because it's sort of almost like an alter ego part of myself. I'm not really a social person, to be honest. I just like to be in the bush or at my boat and not around people. But to make it into something that was viable, that we could keep running, particularly back in the day when we were doing hunting for boys that didn't have dads, yeah. a big part of that whole project was about getting young fellas out into the bush that come from either abuse uh, situations in the background where they'd either been neglected or had an abuse or just didn't have fathers. And one of the ways we funded that was by putting it on YouTube and drawing some interest and getting support. People like yourself that were genuinely keen, either dog and knife hunters or just hunters in general. And that it grew from there and it grew exponentially. The channel today's got, I think, about 50, so well over 50,000 subscribers anyway. And it's wow. also got a lot of men like yourself that, that are interested in hunting with dogs and also in, interested in hunting in general and like to get out and do that. So, Clay Tall Stories is a whole lot of things put together. Pretty much a channel that encompasses everything about living off the land, sea, and in between. We've got a lot, a lot of people starting to follow us now too because of COVID nineteen. It's uh, looking people looking at being self reliant yeah. and sustaining their um their their food source by hunting it, growing it, gathering it, trapping it, dogging it, spearing it. However you get it, and it's becoming more prevalent. People are more interested in it now because they've seen what can happen. You can have that food source cut off. So having our dogs and hunting with our dogs in New Zealand is a really uh, it's it's a amazing way to hunt because you probably know a little bit about New Zealand we have nothing that naturally predates on the wild game you hunt which is all introduced every four-legged animal in New Zealand is an introduced species we have nothing that's endemic in the way of four-legged animals is every right? single wow, thing, I, nothing at all the only, I did only, not realize uh, that yeah the four-legged thing I didn't realize people, yeah a lot of people don't bear and we've got a huge a spectrum of animals that we can hunt that are actually classed by 
The Department of Conservation is pests because they are introduced, although we class them as a food source and a way of life. The wild pig, just as everywhere, yeah. is a great food source. And the only real way you can really hunt it uh, with some success is with dogs. You yeah. can fly over the helicopter, but it goes under cover so you don't see it. You can go in with a spotlight. And a thermal's pretty, these days, is becoming more obvious way of doing it and more popular. But those pigs still get into the thick scrub. So a dog is the number one thing to get in there and, and track them down and bail them up, hold them or bail them. Then basically it's sneaking with the knife, grab the pig and stick it. That's something that's been going on for many, many years in New Zealand. And it's necessary because it keeps control of the environment. Otherwise they destroy everything. Right. And that, that, that's what we're doing over here. And I think the, the, the channel when we started just showing you know, young fellas going out doing it, it was exciting because you've got an animal that fights back a bit and you've got these young boys that are testing themselves. So it's kind of interesting viewing, although we haven't done a lot in the last last year. We've done less than usual. We'll be getting back into it this winter, though. So stay tuned. That's great. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um what kind of dogs are you running over there? I know, you know, a lot of the people I talk to here have a specific breed of hound that that they're really keen on running. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because your dogs are not there. You're not going to find your dogs on the AKC or the UKC or any of these registries. What what are you running over there? So we use in different parts of the country, we use different types of dog. If you're in forestry over here like where i'm in nelson a lot of guys will use hard holding dogs with a bit of pit bull or a bit of dogo argentino in them which is a, a dog which actually banned in new zealand i have a pure dogo here the our flagship of the channel is, is is a dogo it's bruno and he's yep. a my last dogo i don't hunt him anymore he's too old but i used to hunt the dogo now i've gone to a smaller dog which is a mixture he's a real licorice all sort bit of whippet bit of collie bit of Parsons Terrier. He's got a bit of everything, a bit of Jack Russell, and he's a smaller dog. Does okay, but my, my main dog's actually a working dog or a farm dog, which would normally be used for rounding up cattle or sheep, and that's uh, Poe, and she's got a bit of Betty in her, a bit of Hunterway. Hunterway is a New Zealand dog that's been bred for basically barking and rounding sheep up. So she's got a wee bit of bark, although she sounds more like a bloody coyote when she barks. She said, I've got a, she's got a funny looking bark. And she's a really good dog. She's my main dog. And she'll catch a pig by herself. She'll bail it. That means to bark at it. And then she'll also hold it. She has to. Right. That's interesting. And you have you have a pup after Poe as well, don't you? I do. I've got I've got Bigsy. And Bigsy comes out of Pace, which is a terrier mix. mix and I put that dog pace over Poe and we got the whole lot of dogs which I went around the South Island of New Zealand and the North Island of New Zealand and I gifted them to patrons and every single one of those dogs surprisingly is all hunting well they're all catching their own pigs now and doing or maybe not all catching their own pigs maybe there's a couple that are still not quite on it but they're all catching pigs and most of them catching their own pigs finding wow. and stopping pigs most importantly yeah so they've gone really well how old are they now I mean they're young Oh, they'd be coming into 14 months, I'm guessing. Yeah, 13, 14 months. Uh, just, just pups, they've... I mean, we talk about pups, but it depends on the breed. If you've got a smaller breed, like a little whippety type fox terrier, something small, then you can hunt those sooner. If you've got a larger dog, like a Mastiff or, in case of Bruno, a Dogo Argentino, you want to give those dogs really up to a year and a year and a half, just so they're ligaments the crucial ligaments all harden up 
because if you run them too early, you can do permanent damage. And this is a, a thing you often see with guys running dogs too soon. The, the rule of thumb is if a dog can't jump up to something like the deck of your truck, then it shouldn't jump down from it. So when mm. they are old enough and strong enough to be able to jump up, then they can jump down. And if not, they can do permanent damage. And you hear of a lot of hunters hunting their dogs too early and then destroying the crucial ligaments, particularly in the front. It's interesting because wolves don't actually have crucial ligament disease, but but domestic dogs do, and that's to do with our genetic breeding. Although the DNA of a dog is very similar to a wolf, they still have this problem where they destroy ligaments. So I don't know, have you, you have any problem with your dogs at all, with ligament problems? Um, very, very few. Um, the the hunting dogs, you know, I've I've I see in a lot of the breeds, some of them do have a sort of predisposition for lig ligament issues um you know i, I work right. as a veterinary nurse and we get quite a few of those in you know dogs mm. that especially that first week of hunting season will get you know it's we we keep the we keep the x-ray machine warmed up all the time we know we know we're going to get some of those hounds coming in but um you know the alaskan huskies that i ran for all those years i've never ever seen one um, you know, I've had hundreds of Alaskan Huskies and I've never seen one blow a cruciate ligament or, uh, yeah, or, or yeah. something like that. Amazing dogs, aren't they? For what they can do. It's incredible. It's mind blowing. Really? Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable dogs. They just have the stamina like no other dog in the world. Oh yeah. You could do that. You could imagine it. Keep it continually going. We don't ever run our dogs. We run our dogs hard, but nothing like you guys do for, you know, sleep. Although it's a different thing because we're also running them at full speed quite often yeah. to chase the pig, and then there's then there's a battle on. And I've lost dogs. I've had them die from heat exhaustion through hunting them in too hot a weather, and I've also lost dogs being killed by the pig, being exhausted, and we've also had a lot of close calls. Mm. So it's it's a pretty uh, for the dog. It's pretty hard out there. There's the, the the life and death situation quite often. Hopefully it's the, the pig's death, but sometimes the dog loses too, as you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's funny though because uh one of the one of the best uh sprinting uh racing sled dogs in because there's a little bit of a community in Australia. Okay. One of the best of all time in the single dog category was a pig dog that some that popped up at somebody's truck while they were running their Siberian Huskies. And this pig dog popped up and he became, because they had that explosiveness, they had that fast, that ability to go all out for a, you know, shorter distance. And when I say shorter distance, you know, talking, I'm still talking, you know, seven or eight kilometers, you know, it's still, you know, kind of balls to the wall yeah. for, yeah. for, for a, a decent distance, you know, but you know, your guys, they look like athletes. I mean, they look, they look athletic. They're, they're lean, they're mean, they're, they're light on their feet. You, they're, they're good looking animals. How do you, how do you, you know, you know, people talk here about, about lines and they, they do all of this line breeding and trying to get that right dog from the right lines in the breed and all this thing. How do you take a com uh, a combination of so many breeds and get, and get consistently good dogs dogs that are doing what you want them to do well to answer that frankly we don't we don't get dogs and a lot of dogs get shot by hunters that don't cut, make the grade a lot of dogs you never hear about and what you're seeing if when you watch say a channel like mine is you're seeing dogs that have have 
have cut it. And, and, and the funny thing about my channel is I will actually showcase dogs that are useless, dogs that but do make mistakes, yep. dogs that trail bark. If a dog trail barks, you lose the pig. And I've, I've probably one of the few guys that actually shows all the bad things. I mean, training a pig dog is, is about stock proofing. It's about, because every dog will naturally hunt to some degree or less. And so you've basically got to teach a pig dog that he's not allowed to chase deer, goats, sheep, chickens, anything except pigs. And that's how we do the first part of the training is by stock proofing them. And that's done with two methods, either the nullification method, which is you walking past a whole bunch of sheep and completely ignoring the sheep and showing no interest and having your, your pack of dogs that are already trained with the pup that you're teaching to not touch a sheep and every dog ignoring the sheep. That's known as the nullification method. Okay. And the second method is and the second method is associating that animal with uh, punishment. And the most common one is a hot collar. Yeah. Some guys, some guys will put electricity through their dog. Some other guys will just vibrate their dogs. And as soon as the dog goes on its intention, as soon as it intends, it shows intention. That's when they, that's the right time if you know what you're doing with the hot collar. And a hot collar is something that few people get it right. And a lot of good dogs have been destroyed with hot collars. It can be so damaging if you don't know what you're doing. You must hit the dog right on intent, not when it's already grabbed the sheep or grabbed the goat. It's got to be as it's just lurching forward because that's where you set the timer in its brain that if in future I have this intention to do that. The thing I like about the hot collar is the dog doesn't associate the master with jumping on the sheep or jumping on the goat or jumping on the deer. It associates the deer with it. If you punish okay. a dog by hitting it with a stick or shouting at it and screaming at it, on a goat or a pig, the dog will associate the punishment coming from the master. And all that will do is teach the dog in the future to be sneaky and to, to go where the master isn't, which is just about everywhere because dogs do that. And to go out, say 500 meters and find a goat where the master isn't. And again, that dog will jump on that, that goat and yeah. the master's not there to punish it. So hitting your dog is, is counterproductive. It's a stupid thing to do. It installs fear into your dog. And it might make you temporarily feel a bit better for your anger, but it doesn't teach the dog bugger all. So good, good training is when you're either using nullification or you're associating the animal that you don't want it to get with the punishment. And that's where the hot collar used properly is good. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of guys destroy a lot of potentially good dogs through using them incorrectly. Yeah, I've, I have too. And it's, it's, um, you know, here in, here in Norway, we actually, it's a requirement for, in, in a lot of places, including the place where I hunt, where the dogs have to be certified stock proof. So they've got to go through a course where you actually let them loose in a, in a big open area with sheep or goats or something like that. And where you, Good. and you shock them exactly as you say, on the intent, the, the moment they shift from, um, the moment they shift their focus from you to more than a sort of passing glance at the sheep they're going to get they're going to get a little mm. bit of a correction a correction and um you know i i have appreciated that a lot because they also have this uh you know here in norway they also let they let their sheep out up in the mountains for mountain grazing um during the summertime but that's without a shepherd so the uh, the sheep are just up there by themselves and they're not brought down until the beginning of moose hunting season, which is okay. So what natural what natural um, animals predate on sheep in your country? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean they 
wolves, lynx, wolverines, uh, right. bear. Wow. Um, wow. But there's a very little tolerance for any of those animals that take stock. So if they find a cadaver that of an animal that's been taken by a wolf or a bear or something like that, they'll identify what's taken it, and then they will usually euthanize that animal. Gee, okay. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of bears here. There's not a lot of wolves here. Um, I've seen wolf tracks once, and bear tracks twice uh, mm. in the. 12 years I've been here and I spend a lot of time out, out in the bush. And that's, that's the only, only time I've seen it is, you know, once with wolf and twice with bear. Wow. Um, that's interesting. It is interesting. It's a, it's a, it's an enormous sort of political hot point here. Uh, how to, how to con both how to and whether to conserve the wolf population. Yeah. How yeah, many well, is too many? You yeah. know, etc. Et and um, I won't say that they have a no tolerance policy at this point, but the wolves that they allow to be here, there's not a lot of tolerance for them taking taking stock before they're removed. I can understand that, but I can also understand both sides of the story. Uh, the, yeah, the absolutely. wolves are an amazing creature. They're basically like our dogs, and they are incredible. But they're also destroying livelihoods of people. Yeah. If absolutely, concerned. yeah. So. So I can, I can understand it too. You know, I, I love, I, I really enjoyed, um, the wolves in Alaska. I really enjoyed the, you know, the Northern, the bush wolves in, in Maine, you know, the Northern coyote in Maine, yeah. you know, and, and that was, that was sort of a, an enjoyment that included some, you know, I'll put a caveat in there and say that, you know, I, I had dogs run right up onto the porch by packs of coyotes you know it was it was our neighbors you know our neighbors had a pack of coyotes come right into their yard and they had a big kennel of dogs and came right into the middle of the kennel um wow. you know so they wow. the, the coyotes can be pretty gnarly and the wolves the same you know so i understand yeah. why people you know it, it seems like there's not a lot of people that have that middle of the road attitude about it it's like well they're nice but i can see the point you know it's either you hate them or you or you love them so a little bit like everything that's politicized these days, it seems like, you know. Uh, it's got silly, mate. It's got bloody stupid. The whole the whole hunting thing is is out of whack with the world. Well, the whole world's out of whack, really, if you're honest about it. Yeah. Human population's <laughs> exploded to a point where it's not healthy anymore in a lot of countries. In New Zealand, we're just so lucky here. We've got 4 million people in a, in a country. It's about the same land space as Germany, I suppose, east and west combined. And we've got 4 million. So we've got all this country. I'm in the South Island. We've got about a million people in the South Island. The South Island is about half the size of Germany. So spread a million people. You can walk for miles and miles and hunt for miles and miles and never see sign of man. Yeah. And it's awesome. We've got this here, but the rest of the, a lot of the rest of the world is so confined. And I can understand. I've lost you. Are there still, bud? I'm still here. Oh, just said thank you for the Zoom. Uh, it's closing now. Uh, this meeting is no longer. It's had its time limit. Okay. Is right. it? closing i'm still we're still rolling but uh just the zoom the zoom message just said that the time was up but anyway we're still here so we'll carry okay. on okay yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a really uh crazy old world and people look at social media and they see like maybe you with a dead animal dead fox or something without knowing anything about the biodiversity of your country and what goes on we get this all the time i get hounded particularly from people from the uk 
hounding me for killing a wild pig, but they've got no understanding at all about the biodiversity of New Zealand and don't even realise that wild pig destroy a lot of the environment for our actual native species, like our kiwi, our native birds, our ground birds, weka, all the all the ground birds we have, and also it, it goes right across a whole big spectrum of the damage that gets done, and all they see is a dead animal, and, and you know, the guy hunting with a dog is a bastard, but they don't realise that we're actually very, very important to the ecosystem Absolutely. to survive because there's nothing else that naturally predates on those animals. And when they get out of control, man, pigs will have, if, depending on how much food source, because it's a food source that determines how many pigs a sow throws, how many piglets it throws, she could have up to 12 piglets in one breeding if there's a good food source around. Mm-hmm. And then she could do that in six months again, she could have another 12 piglets. In the meantime, those piglets, the first one she had, are already breeding at six months old. They have. So by the end of that year, she's had she's had her 24 piglets. But the first 12, if half of them are sows, six of them are already throwing their piglets. Cool. And if you work right. out how quickly that explodes, it's like rabbits. They, they're not like deer that'll have one or two a year. You know, deer might have two at the most a year. Pigs don't. They can... They can throw well over 20 piglets in a year and those piglets can throw piglets so we've got to keep on top of them and oh absolutely what better way to do it than to run a pack of dogs and run around get your organic meat keep the keep the environment in better condition keep yourself in better condition and put meat on the table that's hormone free geo free yeah uh, it's really really great meat to eat to to absolutely bloody delicious wild pork i never get sick of it mate we eat it all the time i love it's it. unbelievable i absolutely agree it's it's my favorite yeah. it was the actually the first thing i ever the first wild game i ever ate was a shepherd's pie that my uncle brought to a family gathering right. and yeah. intentionally didn't tell anybody what it was and everyone was like oh this is so amazing this is and he waited until the very end of the night to tell everybody that it was wild boar and like a bunch of people got really mad at him and I thought it was, the, I, I was just impressed that it was one of the best things I'd ever eaten. And then I, you know, got the opportunity to hunt them here and it's still, it's just like, just as good as I remembered it. Just unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I like it with apple sauce. So I like it with salt. I do it in the slow cooker. I do it in the camp oven. I do it when I'm out in the bush. I eat yep. the offal of the pig as well. I'll eat the heart sometimes or the liver mm-hmm. and the, the pig skin, because we're using holding dogs often gets damaged. So we'll often just skin the pig. But if we've got one that we know that's been bailed up and hasn't been held, it's got no teeth marks in it, we'll scald that and we'll eat the skin as well. We'll cook it up and get that nice crackling going. Yeah. Of course, you've got a low low fat. And we really want to get fat in a pig because if we've got a lot of fat, we can then make it into bacon. Turn wild pork bacon is next level bacon. It's absolutely bloody delicious. Mm. And occasionally we get lucky and we're always looking at how fat the pig is. What we don't want to catch is we don't want to catch an old titty sow that's had a babies and they've sucked the life out of her. But more than often than not, that's what gets killed by the dogs because dogs generally don't pick and choose. They'll just catch a pig, whether it's a boar or a 30-pound sow. They just they just target pigs. Having said that, my main dog, Poe, she will actually target boars if she can. If there's a whole lot of pigs, she'll always try and pick out the biggest one. And that's something that she just does on her own steam. We never taught her that. She just evolved that way, which is kind of handy because if there's a mob of pigs, she always targets a big one and that's that's rare but it's a bloody handy thing to have and i've seen it i've actually filmed that and i've got evidence i was of it in some of my gonna videos. say you've you got this it. great video of, of her doing that actually standing up on her hind legs and looking around yeah. and, and i was also so impressed with that boar that she was after 
that he, I mean, he was intentionally running through smaller packs of pigs to try and, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was just yeah. like every man for himself. He was trying to throw her off by running through, you know, past sows with piglets and things like that. And she was just not yeah. having it. That was, that was one oh, of my amazing. favorite videos of yours. Yeah. That was a great, great video. It's, it's great to capture that because most of our pig hunting is in a thick forest. So you don't capture that. And I was lucky to farm be on a, on a farm block called Richmond Brook, which has, you know, feral pigs going through it. So it's got some open country there. And to be able to film that and capture that happening. Also, what I was able to capture was her doing something which is quite rare, was closing the gap on a pig running downhill. Now, traditionally, pigs are faster than dogs going downhill. I mean, they they shape like an ice cream cone back with a sharp, sharp, you know, <laughs> nose. And they, they widen up. So they poke through the bush really quick. Yeah. She was closing the gap on this pig, and by the time she'd hit the scrub, you already knew she had it. And that it actually visibly showed her gaining, you know, on the pig on the downhill race, which is rare. And it that pretty much demonstrates how fast she is yeah. for a dog when she wants to turn it on. Most of the time she's a slow hunter, but when she really is on the chase, she just pulls it out, man, and she she throttles downhills. It's awesome to see and great to have a catch because most times downhill the pig gets away generally it does but yeah right with, yeah with that uh pose she's pretty good on the old pigs going downhill yeah good to that's watch that's cool that's cool mm. and she's i mean she's she's not she's not a puppy anymore she's oh no no she's in a she's in a be in her eighth year now yeah yep she's uh, been around for a while good good breeding good dog yeah yeah, very, I, I would take her just by herself with no other dogs and still catch a pig. She could do that by herself easily. She's not needing the rest of the pack, but she won't last forever. She'll One day she'll meet her match, and that's how she'll probably, hopefully that's how she'll end up, is, is dying on a pig and not succumbing to all the other horrible things that, you know, cancer or whatever ever takes our pets. But ideally right. we like them to die in the field when they're doing what they love. Because it's it's a very natural thing, and I, I guess most pig hunters have experienced losing a dog mm. in the wild during battle. And although it's it's a sadness and it's a tragedy, it's also this is the right way we want them to go. Why they're doing what they love? Because there's no way about it. There's, dogs just love to hunt. It's in their nature. It's what they are. It's what yep. they're bred to do, and they love it. And they'll be wagging their tail as the life bleeds out of them still. And I've seen it. They they have a pretty good life and a pretty good death if they're a hunting dog, so long as they've got a master that knows how to treat them well. That's the other right. side of the coin, which isn't that always is. the case, as you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I have a couple of questions for you about how, how specifically you hunt your dogs. You know, I, um, I, I know a lot of people when they're hunting here, when they're hunting foxes, they'll drive, you know, or, or big cats or something like that. They'll drive until they find some tracks and then let the dogs out on the tracks and things like that. Do you do that or do you... Do you have a strike dog on, or what, you know, what we would call in the States, a strike dog, a dog that goes out in front of the truck or stands on the hood of the truck and, and scents off and starts to make noise when you cross some fresh sign, something like that. How do you, how do you get them onto pigs? It all depends on the location. If we're hunting in forestry, what we'll do is we'll put our main dog in the case of Poe, we'll put her on the bonnet of the truck and drive to the hunt zone. But while we're driving to the hunt zone, there's always the possibility that she'll pick up scent off the air. So dogs hunt two ways. They hunt by ground scenting and they hunt by air scenting. Poe's really good at both. So if she was running along the ground, that would increase her chances because she'd also pick up ground scent. The thing about ground scent is that a dog doesn't, most of the time, doesn't know which way the scent that the animal's traveling. So say a pig runs across the road from the east to the west. If she smells that, 
she might track backwards to the east and backtrack. Meanwhile, the pig's gone to the west. But if it's on the if it's on the air, then she will she'll work out pretty quickly which direction the pig is at, mm-hmm. and not not where it's come from, but where it's going to. That it gives her a slightly better indication. Not always, but better indication. So there's the first one. Ideally, what we want to do is we want to find the mark of a good pig, like its foot mark in the ground. And we can tell a lot by the mark of a pig. We can tell whether it's a sow. We can tell whether it's a boar. We can tell whether it's a boar that's roaming a lot. If he's a boar with a rounded toe, that means he's worn his hoof off quite a bit and he's, he's roamed a lot. The yeah. dew claw at the back will also tell us how, how much he's roamed and how big he is because the more he roams, the more he spreads his dew claw. But, of course, the bigger he is, the wider his dew claw gets as well. A sow generally will have sharper toes closer together, the print, and often won't show her dew. You won't see it at all. It'll be she's more walking on her toes, and she'll be sharper because she doesn't move around a lot. She likes to stay in one area where there's food, have her babies in an area that's safe, and then move on to another feeding ground. Whereas the old boar, he's always roaming, looking for the sow on heat, and when he's done his business with her, he's moving on. So he will sometimes team up with the younger boar, like his apprentice, and they'll move around. So if we find that boar mark, we know it's time. To, to let the dogs off and start tracking, ground scenting that. We may let all the dogs do that, or we may hold back our holding dogs on a rope and allow our main finders to go out and do the find and then release the rope dogs once the bale goes up. It all depends on different country. If we're in native bush, generally we'll let all the dogs just hunt as we go through on foot because there's no driving a vehicle around. We're walking. Ideally, we want to get to higher ground so we can pick up the scent mm-hmm. and we want to always keep the, keep the wind in our favour, working out where the predominant wind's coming from. It's pointless going up a gully if the wind's blowing up our asses. Sure. We know by the time we get up there, there's going to be nothing up there. So we want to always hunt into the wind and use that, and also use high country as an advantage. Plus, we know that pigs need to have water and they need to have shade in the summertime if it's hot. So southern faces sometimes can help more pigs, not always in the summertime, and often they'll be up high, but they need to drink water at least twice a day. Mm-hmm. Pigs will come out actually, just like deer too. People don't realise this. They'll actually come out in the middle of the day to hydrate themselves and go back to their nest. Because of hunting pressure, most of them sleep at night. Sorry, most of them hunt at night and most of them sleep during the day. Mm. So because of hunting pressure, pigs will be doing their feeding often at night and then holding up in the daytime up high in a place that's generally pretty hard to get to. A place for dogs hard to get to. It'll be high, it'll have thick scrub, a lot of blackberry, a lot of gorse, a lot of horrible stuff, and they'll be right in the middle of it. And what happens is when dogs do get onto their scent, the pig can hear them coming long before they get to them, and that's their alarm system. They're intelligent creatures. Pigs are the fourth most intelligent creature on the planet. You've got pig, uh, then you've got the elephant, then you've got dolphin, and then you've got chimpanzee. And apparently at the very top, you've got us men. Well, I question that sometimes. <laughs> I've met animals sometimes that are smarter. I'm glad I've got headphones on, because if my wife had heard that, she would have it would have given her a good laugh anyway. <laughs> but uh and but you you're not you do a lot of things i mean you're not i don't want to say just a hunter that 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 makes it seem like that's not worthy but that's it but you do a you do a lot of fishing you do a lot of you're a very good videographer and you're also a very good musician yeah well i mean that's the reason i got into youtube at I used to finance all the hunting. I've been taking boys out hunting for over 20 years and it, nobody ever saw it because it was a private thing I'd always done. And yeah. I've got men that come around today that hunt with me that are now you know, grown men in their 30s that I, I took away 20 years ago. 
When I had a hunting accident about oh, nearly 10 years ago, now I tore the infraspinatus in my shoulder, right shoulder, and that spelt the end to me being a professional musician. I worked in Germany for 13 years as, a, as an entertainer. I worked around all around Europe and in my country here, New Zealand, but that spelt the end of doing those hard concerts because I couldn't play guitar anymore. I damaged it shoulder. So then we switched to YouTube and... Because you need to have soundtracks to your hunt videos or your fishing videos or your cooking videos or whatever you're doing, I started to, it made sense to use my own music. So I've got some very uncommercial music these days. It's about hunting and fishing and that's what I sing about and I use it as backing tracks for the videos I make. So there's, it's a win-win because I do sell a little bit of music online, which helps keep the wheels rolling and I also enjoy it and it's mean I have no copyright strikes by using other people's music on my videos. So it's a bit right. of a win-win all around. Absolutely. That's what I mean, but that is what makes your music so much fun is that you're, you're singing about the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and you've incorporated humor into it. I mean, the, your, your song useless dog, it makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's such a great song. Where can people find your music if they want to check you out? Where can they, where can they find oh, it? I think if you, if you just Google Clay Tool Stories, it'll come up either Spotify or iTunes. Yeah. Just just go Clay Tool Stories songs and you'll find a, a wide variety of music. I've got four CDs or four albums out now that are uh, on TuneCore. So they'll be on Spotify. They'll be in all the digital stores. Mm -hmm. And you can you can hunt down those songs about dogs. You can hunt down. The, the, last, the last CD that I did was called, it was a bit different. It, I'd, I'd come out of hospital. I'd had prostate advanced prostate cancer and they'd taken you know they basically cut a lot of my pelvic floor out and, and well actually not the pelvic floor but the surrounding area around that and the prostate itself and I was I was lucky to be alive still because it was a, a pretty bad cancer and I come out of hospital and I only weighed 56 kilograms I'm normally 75 and I was in a wheelchair and I had blood coming out my ass and blood coming out my dick and I was sick as fuck and I was really feeling like I was going to die and I sat down on my first day back at the old farmhouse here, and I sat down, not in the, in, in the studio, but I sat down in front of a camera. I pulled out the guitar and I composed nine or 10 songs and I wrote them and recorded them all in one sitting. Wow. And none of, those, none of those songs have changed. And that's my latest album, which is it's called Shanties, Cheating Death and Whiskey. And it's pretty much about fishing, about surviving this uh, horrible cancer and that was that was two years ago i recorded that and i've only just released it and i think it's doing okay it's a bit different to the other stuff because i was right on the edge of not sure if i was going to be around or not anymore and i was pretty right. pretty sick i couldn't even stand up you know i belted out these these 10 songs and i did it all in 50 minutes and then i got a producer from christchurch to come come up here and he'd put some drums and bass and i got a my fiddle player who works with me, Celia McAlpine, she put some nice backing vocals and some violin on it and a bit of bass as well. She's a bass player. We end up with a CD, which is very low fidelity, but we're using that now in a lot of the fishing videos. So it's been a been an interesting one, that quite different to the original Clay stuff, but I was yeah. uh, it, it, I was high on ketamine at the time. I was, they found that morphine just didn't work for me. Some people, there's about 8% of people where morphine just doesn't work. And so mm. they found that ketamine which is a hell of a, it's a hell of a great painkiller. Uh, I, I had no pain. So I, I actually wrote that and recorded that last album on ketamine. And I was high as a kite, mate. I was off, off, I was right off my tits, completely out of my tree, but I was able to, to bash that out. So that was the last CD and it's a different one, but I think it's, 
I like it, man. I have enjoyed it. It's uh, I, I like I like that city. It it is very different than your other ones, but it's uh, it's got its own charm, and and there's some great stuff there. There really is some great yeah. stuff there. My my favorite song is I like drinking whiskey because I hadn't had a drink in a long time, and I was remembering all the good times I'd had a drink. Because I only these days I only drink if I had a, I've had a kill, if I've been out fishing and I've I've got a you know brought home a good bounty, yeah. or I've shot a shot a good animal or the dogs have caught a good pig, I will then drink. I don't drink every night like I used to when I was younger. I, I reserve it for moments of life or celebration. So I was really, really excited about being well again and hunting again and the prospect of going out, catching a, a good boar, coming home and you know popping the cap off of a single malt Glen Levitt or Glen, Glen Fittick and sitting back having a drink. And yeah. I'm still looking forward to that because I haven't caught a decent boar since that operation. It's been pretty, oh, oh that's not quite, not quite true, but nothing like I. So that, so that song was born of that, and the other song I I I wrote was the first love song I've ever written in my life because I'm not a romantic person on any level, but I did write a, a love song for my girlfriend that nursed me uh, right up to going into hospital and right through when I was in hospital. I wrote her a song, and that is um, the only love song I've ever written, mm. which probably probably be the last love song. The only other love song I'd ever written. Other than that, was one about my Toyota Land Cruiser truck, which was a which it's about a truck, so you can't really qualify that as being a love song. But oh that's actually... man, that's that's a that's a love song. That's a love ballad. You can you can feel the uh, affection oozing through that song. That would be my most streamed song. It gets thousands and thousands of streams every month. Toyota Land Cruiser, Clay Tall Stories. People love it, and it's a. <laughs> It's a true love, mate. It's about putting that truck first. I know it's a terrible thing, but us men, you know, we are very materialistic. And I don't care whether it's politically correct or not, but women pull towards people more than us men. We pull towards materials. We just love things. We like tools. We like trucks. We like boats. We like our hunting dogs. Mm -hmm. And that's what we generally end up talking about. You'll end up talking to me about a breed of dog, or I'll end up talking to you about the best knife to stick a pig with or the best rifle to, to shoot a you know, a goat or what's ideal for shooting wild pig at the bale. And yeah. this is what we concentrate on. And a lot of it comes back to our hunting and our fishing and our food gathering, what tools are best. And this is why we're quite obsessed with tools, I think. doesn't mm. matter what trade you're doing, whether you're a builder or, you know, when I, my mate Arb comes around and works in my house, we always end up talking about the tools he's using because it's something to further what we're trying to achieve to reach our objective. So we are very much, and that's why that love song was born, because I love, the Toyota Land Cruiser, I think they're great trucks, mate. They really are. Yeah, absolutely. They're uh, they're not as popular here as I would have thought that they would be. Here, over here, it's the Hiluxes, and then the um, and then the Hiuses. Those those oh, yeah, right. yeah, like yeah, right. the vans, the Toyota vans. Yeah, well, they're a good van, but the Hilux is very popular here in New Zealand too. Probably more popular than the Toyota Land Cruiser, but the Toyota Land Cruiser is just out of everybody's price range. I couldn't afford one. They you're looking over a hundred thousand New Zealand dollars for a new one. Now I've not known hardly, unless you're a rich businessman or a farmer that's got a lot of land that can justify it, but we just can't justify that. But I would love, I've always, I've got an old one here. I've got an old one that it's from the nineties, but a nice V8. They're not making the V8s anymore, they're, they're, which is a shame because they were the ultimate truck, but that would be the ultimate truck. The other truck I've always wanted to have is the troop carrier, which can hold 11 people. And oh, my wow. motivation for that, Motivation for that is you can take two adults in the front and you know nine boys in the back, so you can take and you can split up 
with one adult and drop four boys off somewhere to hunt that zone and go to another zone and drop another four off. Throw a few handy dogs in there. That would be a great truck for that. But again, it's a very expensive truck to own and to purchase the sure. troop carrier. They do come up from time to time, but bloody hard to, to buy a lot of money. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. That makes sense. What are you driving? What is your main hunting vehicle right now? It's a Hilux, which is a five-seater. Yeah, so okay. Me yep. and, and it's got a canopy in the back that can hold up to eight dogs. It carries 10 litres of water. So you can hydrate the dogs. It's got a a firearm safety cabinet on the side so you can lock your firearm up. It's also got a, a tool case there. So for carrying tracking gear, GPS, we're using the Alpha 100, running TT15 collars. Mm-hmm. And we're carrying spare knives for the boys. We carry spare boots. So a boy, we generally take about three pair of boots, three different sizes. We carry normally a eight, nine, and 10. And sometimes we'll throw a big 13 for some of the big lads in there. So we've got spare boots a spare knife if a boy doesn't have it, and often will carry chaps, which protect them going through the black bearing gorse. And the truck's got a snorkel on it, so it can cross rivers. It's running uh, MDH. And what have we got? We've got mud tyres, full mud tyres on there, so we can get through the thick stuff. Bull yep. bars on the front, also a winch, so we can tow ourselves out if we get stuck. And so far, I've broken three struts on that truck because we've got it hired a bit more than usual, and it just doesn't cope with the hide in the front but it needs to be because when they came out the 2013 Hilux came out it was lowered in the front too much and its ass was up and it just didn't feel right you felt like you're all sliding off the front of your seat so we did hire it but that has caused us to go through a lot of struts I don't rate the new Toyota Hiluxes anywhere near the old ones anything after 2004 with a common rail engine when the common rail engine came out and most four-wheel drive vehicles in New Zealand I don't know about your country but most our vehicles after 2004, came out with an EGR valve, which was the Calactic converter, which was designed to recycle emissions. But they'd run all the um, all the exhaust back through the manifold, and it just clogged your engine up. And those engines, that EGR valve, damages a lot of engines. I had to have my valves all replaced at 60,000 kilometres on that truck. Oh wow! So it's yeah, which is crazy. Toyota, Toyota actually stepped up and did that, but they only did it when, when they found out who I was and that I had, because I did a video about it and they weren't going to come to the party. So I was going to release that video. And suddenly, <laughs> so suddenly they, they, you know, they, they came to the party. But if it had been the common man, it makes me wonder how many other people have had that same problem with new vehicles, because it is a problem. And if you're hunting out of a vehicle, you're crawling around the forestry slow all day. Yeah. And these trucks aren't actually designed for that. Yeah. So they don't burn off the emissions, so it clogs up the engine. So you're buying a truck that you think is designed for doing hunting with, but it's not actually designed. The engine actually isn't designed for that. It has to do a hard burn to burn off all the carbon, mm-hmm. and you don't do that. You could spend sometimes up to 16 hours crawling around in first gear all day if you're, if you're hunting the forestry. We've done that. We've gone out at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we've come home at, at midnight that, that that same night and we've done a huge crawl around the forestry all day and the, that's why they build up so that's what I like about the older the older Toyota Hiluxes they didn't have that EGR valve and they don't have that character converter they've got just straight old engines that are a lot more steadfast yeah absolutely I mean we we used we use our vehicle uh our Hilux for um training the sled dogs during the fall before the before we can get out on sleds it gets them out and gets them right. sort of running in front of the car a little bit <clears throat> Oh, yep. So, you know, we'll do, we'll do 40 or 50 kilometers with at, wow. you know, wow. 
eight Mine's or nine a- miles an hour, you know, just, just kind of crawling along there. And, That's a lot of Ks for a dog, man. Uh, we, we, we might do 20, 20, 21, 22 Ks, but not 50 in a day. It's a lot of running for a dog. Wow. That is a lot of running, but they're going slow. I mean, they're that's that's at a walking, you know, an easy trot pace. You know, they're yep. if we were doing, if we were having them up at a low, uh, running a little bit faster, you know, we wouldn't be able to, with our dogs anyway, we wouldn't be able to do more than, you know, 20. Is that constant? Are you constantly running them or are you stopping for hydration and rest or is that constant? Um, it's pretty constant. We definitely stop them and, and give them a breather. You know, we want to make sure that nobody, especially in that early season, you know, it can, the temperature can suddenly spike and want to make sure yeah. that, you know, you don't end up, we don't end up losing anybody to heat stroke that's happened, you know, in the past. And, yeah, right. Well, 16 and, degrees is the critical, anything over 16 degrees, we shouldn't be hunting our dogs here in New Zealand. Yeah. If it's over 16 degrees, you can kill a dog and and I killed, and I've got a video of it. It was my mistake, totally my error. I had a really good promising young dog called Boo and it was about 17 or 18 degrees. It was six o'clock at night, but there was still temperature there. He he was onto his third pig and I had to shoot him before he was dying as I shot him. And, and I actually did publish that video as much as I didn't want to because I didn't want to show my mistake, but I actually did want to show my mistake so other people could learn from it. And mm. I've had a lot of a lot of hunters write back to me since saying that admitting they'd killed their own dogs, and I've also had a lot of young guys saying thanks. So then I I now draw the line at that degrees. So mm-hmm. even in the evening when you think it's cool, you need to check what the temperature is because you will run a dog to its death. They will hunt regardless, and they don't they don't know it's time for me to stop. Poe does actually. She she governs herself. She's an old clever old dog. It's too hot. She'll go nah, This is too hot, boss. But younger dogs that are keen, they'll they'll run till they. And what happens is the internal organs literally overheat and they cook their they cook their kidneys and they have kidney failure and that's what kills them. Mm-hmm. And they're, 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 they heat up so much. And even if they survive it, there'll be permanent damage and they'll never hunt well again. Mm-hmm. They'll get this thing where they slow right down or if it's hot weather, they just won't function well. So it's really important you don't. This is why I'm not hunting right now. People say, you're going hunting. I'm going, no, I don't want to risk it. Guys will hunt through the night, but I like my sleep these days. You know, I'm... I'm 57 years of age. So I like to get eight hours of sleep. I don't want to be hunting at three in the morning like I used to when I was a teenager. I like to get to sleep and wake up and have a day. Also, mm-hmm. because I film everything for the channel, it's pretty pointless hunting at night. You can't show anybody anything. So I'm just biding my time, fishing while it's hot. And when the weather's cool, we'll be hunting every every weekend and through the week as well. And it's not yeah. too far away because we're right into February now and we're on the other side of the world of you, of course. So we have the opposite season. You'll be in, what, your autumn now, are you? Uh, no, right now we are in, uh, yeah, midwinter. Midwinter, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're, okay, we're approaching yeah. sort of the, 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 the spring, the spring portion of the winter. It'll start getting a little start, bit yeah. warmer and days getting a little uh, longer okay. and stuff. So it's, it's yeah, uh, that, that would make sense because we're at the end of our, coming to the end of our summer. We're yeah. not into autumn yet, but it's, it's not it's around the corner. And when it, when it comes, the deer start roaring when it's cool. So we get up the red stag roar. Yeah. A lot of guys will be hunting there. Their dogs, different type of dog for that. A lot of guys are using uh, the Hungarian Vizsla, or yeah. they're qu- quite popular is also the Labrador for that. And for, for hunting the red deer, is that right? But, yeah, for hunting them basically as indicator dogs only. So they're just indicator, and the dog will walk, hunt in front of the man. So he's walking in front of the guy all the time. And there's a really good, uh, there's a bloke that's got what's known as the, the, the blueprint for indicating dogs. He's created in New Zealand, a real good bastard, and, and he's, he's got this where you can find it, and he's got some great training videos on this. 
And a lot of these guys, they shoot over their dogs and they shoot a lot of deer. And the dogs do all the finding. They don't, they don't break the bow. They just stop and point and there'll be a deer every time. I had a Labrador years ago that was an indicating dog and I learned to trust that dog so much. At one time I was out where there was a, I was on the top of a place up here at the back of a hackett where I hunt a lot and there was a whole lot of just basic reeds and, and bulrushes and an open sort of paddock on the tops there and there was nothing for miles and suddenly this Labrador started pointing and I looked around and there was just nothing in the paddock and it was pointing and I just thought, I gave up eventually so I walked up and there was a log, a broken log in the bush lying down there, well it wasn't bush, it was all open and I put my foot on it to look around as I put my foot on it, a deer that was asleep right alongside it, right down flat, sprung away and shot off. And the dog just looked at me like, you stupid idiot. I told you it was there. It was only like 20 meters away from me. You wouldn't listen. And I learned always to trust the dog. They know they got incredible. They know. The olfactory, the olfactory system in a dog's nose is bloody incredible. You know, they can, they can smell an animal when they're breathing out. When they're on the chase, because of the way the aerofoil of the nostrils of a dog is, the olfactory system inside creates this lift where it lifts the scent of the animal up against the membrane, which picks up the scent. So even when they're exhaling, they can they can smell that pig or that deer so long as they're moving forward. And that's an incredible, incredible thing to have. But not only that, when you consider they're doing that, but on top of that, they're also smelling about a million times more than you and I are. Yeah. I mean, that is an incredible the symbiotic relationship we have with dog and man hunting is, is an amazing relationship. And it's not a new one. It's been going on for hundreds of years. The Japanese have been hunting wild. I mean, they've got the Kishu, which is an incredible dog for hunting. They've mm -hmm. been hunting those for hundreds and hundreds of years. In New Zealand, we just knew it. You know, we've been known a couple of hundred years. Japanese, if you want to see good pig dogs, go to Japan. Look at the Kishu. They've got incredible hunting dogs. These dogs don't even get ripped. They've got such, they breed such a thick coat into them. And they are incredible hunting dogs. It's amazed me that no one's ever brought them into New Zealand. I guess it's a temperature over here, that that overheat. Be, Maybe yeah. they might be, not sure. But yeah, really, really interesting to, to watch. I've followed. I've got a friend called Mr. Suzuki in Japan who I follow. He's a professional hunter. Mm -hmm. He hunts the Kishu with great success and shoots. He only uses two dogs. Shoots most of his dogs at the bale using a a carbine, thirty thirty, and he uses because they've actually outlawed sticking pigs over there. They used to hunt with dog and sword in Japan. Typical okay. Japanese, big long sword, but they've actually outlawed that now, and you've got to shoot. So they've had to change their hunting a little bit from dog and knife to, to, to baling dogs. So that's that's again having to retrain the dog to not hold and to, to back off, or to be able to call the dog off but keep the, the pig contained while they shoot it. And that's interesting hunting in itself too. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's not it's not allowed. Uh, it's not allowed to stick them here either. Okay. Right. Uh, you have to, you have to shoot them. So a lot of dogs, but you know it's i see a lot of dogs getting some pretty solid hearing damage you know getting some muzzle blasts oh, and things like that it's yeah. uh it's, a, it's yeah muzzle blast muzzle blast can destroy a dog and that's one of the things i don't like about it unless you're using a really good suppressor mm -hmm. and you know and you're using a light caliber that's not making a huge explosion i i i would have to have to be a really bad i've never i've never shot a pig at the bale i will grab the pig every time i can mm -hmm. because it's a last, I do carry a, I carry a 14 or a Magnum 44 on me, but it's a last resort thing of things get, you know, if dogs are getting torn up and we just can't control that animal, then I would shoot it. But no, and, and a well, a pig stuck well, there's two ways to stick it. You can throat stick it or go in the side. If you know exactly where the heart is and you know that that critical 45 degree angle 
that pig is dead just as fast as a bullet if you put the knife in the right place. Straight away, you're severing the blood to the brain. It's a, it's a very quick death. Sure. And a lot of people do screw that up. They they stick it, and then the pig gets back up, and it's it's either a lung stuck or it's it's bad. And you see that, and that's probably why it's been outlawed in a lot of countries because a lot of people don't. You've got to be like a surgeon. You've got to know exactly where the heart is. I've actually got a video on that called the pig sticking knife, and it's and I and I show in the video a pig in the wild that Poe's caught. I show it being stuck, and you can actually see its ears fold back. As soon as it's dead, knife goes in, ears fold back, drops dead. Straight wow. away, no movement, nothing. It's just, it's like it's been headshot. It's that quick. Yeah. And I also go through in that video, I go through the basics of sticking a pig and killing it humanely and quickly. And and I show the angle with a diagram of which way it's going to go. It's been a very, very useful video to a lot of young hunters, that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's the sort of thing that normally in, in YouTube, you can't put up an animal being killed with a knife. But that was before the algorithm became all... Uh, politically correct. Uh, it's crazy. There's a lot of things we can't show in teaching uh, young hunters, particularly these days, because it's deemed as being inappropriate. But actually, it's very appropriate because it's about humanely doing a job properly that has to be done if you want to eat organic meat. Yeah. Oh, it, it's. Uh, I did a video about that um, a long time ago. Um, we were we were harvesting our own uh, our own sheep. And it became one of my more popular videos. I didn't have many videos and they weren't very popular, but this one, you know, got shared quite a few times because I had my kids with me and, you know, they were four and five and, you know, that really got a lot of, a lot of attention, uh, both good and bad. You know, there were people who were appalled at the fact that I had exposed my four children to that. And then there were people who were celebrating the fact that I was exposing them to you know, uh, teaching them to appreciate the meat that they were eating yeah. more than you would a burger from McDonald's, you know. Um, it's, it's, and- it's really, I think it's really good you expose them to it because first of all, they don't, they don't put good or bad on it. They're watching you and they're learning from you. So you're teaching them a humane way to, to kill an animal for meat. Yeah, We eat meat. It's, it's part of who we are. So it's a very natural thing. And I think that uh, good on you for doing it. But a lot of people don't see it that way. And, and then they blindly go and buy meat or they blindly go and buy pet food and feed their, their little kitten it or their cat it or their dog it, not realizing that was probably a horse that was shot in a slaughterhouse or a, right. a cattle beast. So, yeah. Hey, Bear, I'm, I don't want to be rude, bro, but I've got to get on with some work around here, mate. Is it okay if we... Oh, absolutely. Course? We've been going for about an hour and a half, almost. Yeah, about an hour and a half here. So the, I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, helping me out with this. This is uh, a lot of fun to talk to you, Clay. And- I hope uh, I hope we can catch up uh, face to face someday. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, mate. When COVID nineteen calms down and the world just <laughs> gets some normality, we'll catch up definitely. And when I write that book, you're my editor. I'm going to hold you to that, brother. Oh, please, <laughs> please do. I'm looking forward to it. All right, yeah. Clay. Thank you so much. Okay, Bear. Take it easy. See you, See later. you later, mate. Bye. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>